Welcome everyone to Resurrection Life Church in Cadillac, Michigan. Thank you for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us, and we pray that you encounter God's goodness through the message today. Hey, you know, last week um, we started a new series called Take a Stand, and we talked about the area or an area in our life in which we can um, take a stand in our life as a Christian where we can take a stand. And the one topic that we talked about was spiritual warfare. And then we talked about how we can, how we can take a stand against spiritual warfare, and, and that's through prayer. So we spent some time talking about that and what that means and, and how to do it because there's a lot of things that people will say to me often or Pastor Dan or anybody on our staff about prayer. How do we do it? What do we do? And we just, we said, um, you know, you got to know who you're talking to. You got to come with thankfulness, right? We got to ask for God's will and not our own. Um, we got to ask for forgiveness. We pray the word and then we memorize scripture. You know, I, I shared my love language of French last week and how pointless I think it is in my life, but how those things can penetrate my mind and they stay there and you can't get them out, but how easy it is to not do that with the Word of God, right? So we spent some time talking about that last week. So we're going to continue the series, Take a Stand, today, and I, this, is, this has been heavy on my heart, so I was actually, I didn't really know if I wanted to talk about it or not, um, because it's, it's, like, it's a pretty hot debate in our society right now. And I thought, why not? Why not, right? Why not stir the pot? But that's not what we're doing. Because we're not going to stir the pot when we speak the word of God. We're not going to stir the pot when we speak truth and we speak love. We're not going to stir the pot when we, when we bring this as the centerpiece of all of our conversations or all of our actions. So that's why I really felt peace and comfortable talking about injustice. Injustice. And that is a pretty hot buzzword right now in our society, isn't it? Injustice. You know, injustice is the lack of fairness or an unjust act or occurrence in someone's life. Something that happens to them. I wrote down a couple things the other day of what injustices that we've been hearing over the last two, three, and I'm going to go on. I mean, injustice has been around forever, forever. But when we hear some of these words like voting, gender equality, climate control, health care, immigration, racial, income, gun control, hunger, all of those things naturally kind of just come to the forefront of our minds, come to the tip of our tongue when we think of the word injustice. But I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to speak on those injustices. I'm not going to talk about those injustices. The injustice that we're actually going to talk about and spend time today with and the area in which I think that we need to take a stand and take a stand as Christians is the injustice of our heart. Where are we as Christians what are we doing? How do we respond and how do we react when something has been done in a way in which we think is against us or something that hasn't been done in our favor that's not fair? You know, I spent, um, early part of summer, I spent about a month just reading the book of Genesis, just Genesis. And early on as a Christian, I thought Genesis probably was one of the most boring books to me. 
I didn't want to spend time with the genealogy. I didn't want to get to know who was who and who did what and when and how. And in revisiting that book this past, early on this summer, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. And I spent time in, in the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph. And I think that's where we're going to spend a lot of our time this morning is going through the story of Joseph. You see, Joseph had been treated miserably through betrayal, in suffering, landed in prison. There's a lot of things that happened against him. And through all those harsh years of injustice, God was with him. And it says that in Genesis over and over and over again, that God was with him. Joseph loved God and he never lost sight of God. And through all those bad experiences, the injustices that he experienced, Joseph did not focus on the hardships, but rather what God wanted him to do through those situations. And we read about Joseph in Genesis 37 when he's at the age of 17. At the age of 17, he's facing crisis. And I look at crisis two different ways. Crisis can be danger or crisis can be opportunity. It depends on how you look at it. He first faces a great amount of disappointment and hate in this crisis. You see, Joseph grew up in what we would call nowadays a blended family, right? Jacob, his father, had four wives, 12 sons from four different wives. And his mother, Joseph's mother, Rachel, has passed away, so it's kind of like he's standing there alone with no mom and a dad with all these other brothers, these siblings, a blended family. And it's in this blended family where there's raging rivalry, jealousy, and anger. I grew up with four brothers, not 12, four. And we had every single one of those things in our, in our household. We were all fighting to see who could be the favorite. We were all fighting to see who could be the best. I can remember taking my little brother, tying him up to a tree in the backyard in the middle of summer and shaving his head and leaving him out there all day. <laughs> yep. We're best friends now. He learned his lesson. <laughs> but you have that, don't you? You have that in family. You have that in your workplace. You have that everywhere. And in the midst of the, these wives and these 11 brothers, Joseph was favored by his father. And it wasn't something that was unknown to everybody. It was actually known to all of them. Jacob actually says that he is the favorite. And not only does he come out and say that he's the favorite, he makes him a cloak or a mantle in which distinguishes Joseph and sets him apart from everybody else. It's a symbol that Jacob has found favor in Joseph, that he is the favorite child. Now, I don't know about you, but that would be hard to live with, right? because it's almost like feeling like your dad loves him more than he loves you. There's favor in him and not with you. He wants to be with him more and not with you more. His brothers hated him over it, hated him. How many of us have lived in similar situations? How many of us have been in similar experiences? How many of us have been in an area in which we know that we're not liked? or that we're not appreciated, or that we're not loved, or the thing that we're doing is not quite enough. How many of us live at home with conflict, or jealousy, or tension, and abuse? 
You see, the things that Joseph went through and he experienced back then, I think, are just as evident and relevant today. I feel like Joseph lived a life of cruelty. And reality starts one day when his brothers are out grazing the flocks. And in this moment, his father tells him, you know, go out and check on your brothers. Go out and check on your brothers. My little brother did that. He came out and checked on me one day, and he wound up with a shaved head and tied to a tree. So he's walking out, and he's checking, and it kind of makes it sound like he's just like on this little journey, like they're up the road a little bit. They're not up the road a little bit. They're 100 miles away. They're 100 miles away. So he's approaching the towns, and he's seeking his brothers, and he can't find them, and he comes around, and he makes a bend, and boom, there he sees them. Sees the flocks in the distance. And his brothers also see him in the distance too. And they don't like him. They want to get rid of him. They wanted to kill him. And that's what they decided they were going to do. They were going to kill him. But Reuben speaks up and he says, no, we can't have his blood on our hands. Don't kill him. Let's pretend we're going to kill him. Let's just, let's just throw him in a well, a dry well, for a minute and decide what we're going to do. So they throw him in the well and they peel, his, they peel his cloak off of him, the one that his father made for him, the symbol of Joseph. And they're trying to decide what to do. And they decide that they're going to kill an animal and take the animal's blood and rub it all over the cloak and then we'll take that cloak back to dad and we'll tell dad that he was eaten by an animal. So that's what they decide. And while they were trying to devise a plan and, and exactly what to do in every step, Ishmaelites came along and they wanted to buy Joseph. Well, great. Now his blood's not going to be on our hands. We're not going to kill him. We're not going to leave him here for dead. They can buy him. We can profit from this, right? So 20 shekels of silver. 20 shekels of silver is equivalent to eight, the weight of eight wooden pencils. So they sold their brother for the weight of eight wooden pencils. They sold him. So he became a slave. And the Ishmaelites are on their way to Egypt. And they're approaching Egypt, and they're going to put him up for an auction. They're going to sell him again. You see, but it's in this moment, in this time, which I think Joseph has to make a critical decision. He has to make a decision. And I think to take a stand... We also have to make a decision, don't we? We have to make a choice. You see, Joseph could choose to be full of rage and hatred, knowing that his own family turned on him, sold him into slavery, and left him for dead, or he could trust the Lord with all of his heart, all of his soul, and all of his mind, and trust him and his leading. But we don't always do that, do we? Could you imagine being tied up with your hands behind your back? Stripped of your clothing, in the hot burning sun, no water to drink, probably tied to an animal because you can't keep up, so this animal is dragging you along. And in this moment, knowing that you're a slave and you're probably going to have a life that is just unreal, and choosing to make a decision, or to make a decision to follow Christ, to follow God, and to know in this moment right here and right now that this is what he has for you? Joseph was purchased at the slave auction by Potiphar in Egypt, the captain of the guard and the official for the pharaoh. 
And rather than becoming bitter, Joseph pressed into God. Rather than looking at his injustice, what had been done against him, Joseph leaned into the Lord. And we read in Genesis 39, verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. I don't know how we can always look at that and feel like we're prospering in this area or what he's going through. But it says right here that he prospered, that the Lord was with him. You see, Potiphar could see that Joseph had gifts and talents that exceeded any other man that he had ever met. He could see it. Things fell into place for Joseph. People did what he had asked. Things became easy for him. And Potiphar could see this. And Potiphar witnessed this with his own eyes. So Potiphar put Joseph in charge of his entire estate. And we read again in the Bible that the Lord blessed Potiphar's house and Potiphar's estate based on Joseph and Joseph's trust and following of the Lord. You see, to take a stand, I think that we also need to be committed. You see, Joseph makes that decision to follow the Lord, to trust the Lord, to lean into the Lord. But also, we can hear and see that Joseph is committed to the Lord. Joseph was serious about his decision to trust and obey God, to be led by God. While overseeing all of Potiphar's affairs and estate, he caught the eye of his master's wife while doing so too, didn't he? He wasn't out shaking his boom, boom. He wasn't doing none of that. He was doing what the Lord had told him to do. And while he's doing this, Potiphar's wife sees sees what he's doing, sees how people interact with him. The Bible even tells us that Joseph was a handsome man. So Potiphar's wife, or his, her eye caught him. She wanted to be with him. She wanted to sleep with him. And she asks him over and over again. She tempts him time and time again. You see, but Joseph was committed to the Lord. He said, no. And he said no over and over and over again. But then came a day in which she grabbed him by his cloak and demanded that he sleep with her. In Joseph's response, we can read in Genesis 39, 9. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except for you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You see, I don't think it was so much that the influence that Potiphar had on Joseph as it was how Joseph chose to follow God, how Joseph was committed to the Lord. And he says that right there. I could not do such a wicked thing. I could not sin against God. Joseph knew an act like this would displease God. Joseph was able to refuse the sin. Does my commitment and love for God direct how I'm feeling and how I'm acting all the time? Can I say when I'm in situations similar to this or other experiences in my life that I'm willing to turn the other cheek and walk away? Does my commitment to God exceed the injustice that I've experienced in my life? Can I put things behind me? Can I keep on moving forward? Because things are going to come our way, aren't they? Things are going to happen to us that are unfair, that we don't like, that aren't for us, that are against us. 
And if I'm able to say yes to being able to surpass temptation or to say I can get past drinking or cheating my taxes or escaping with drugs or abusing my spouse or neglecting my kids, if I can say no to all those things and I can walk away from all those things, what do I want in return? Typically, I want a reward, don't I? Because we were able to turn away from something and now I want something in return, don't I? I want a reward for being a good Christian. But how was Joseph rewarded from turning from sin? How was he rewarded? He's falsely accused. Potiphar grabs, or not Potiphar, his wife grabs him by the cloak. She insists that he sleeps with her. He says no. He pretty much yells no to her and tries to run out of the room. And in that, he leaves his cloak behind. So she takes his cloak yells out to the maidservants, they come in, and she makes up this story about how he tried to rape her or sleep with her. And then when Potiphar gets home, she keeps the cloak so that he can see the cloak, and he knows that it's Joseph's cloak. And she makes up this story about how he came into the room and he wanted to sleep with her, and she had no idea what was going on. So she falsely accuses him. So how is Joseph rewarded from turning from sin? He's thrown into jail. He's thrown into prison. I wrote down that Joseph took a stand for the Lord. He made a commitment to the Lord, didn't he? Joseph took a stand against the injustice in his life and he was committed to the plan, to God's plan and not his own plan. He saw temptation, he saw sin, he was able to see through it and see what it was, what it was for. You see, like Joseph getting thrown into prison, when we take a stand, when we make a choice to stand for God, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. So many times you, you see things on TV or on the internet about how when you become a Christian, life is easy and miraculous and there's roses and unicorns everywhere with chocolate-covered donut sprinkles and all kinds of stuff. That's not necessarily the case. The road is not wide. The gate is not always open, is it? The road is narrow. And there are roadblocks along the way. Things are going to come our way. It's not an easy life. There are things that are going to happen in our life. And when we make this choice to follow God, we're going to have to give up something, aren't we? You see, when you take a stand for God, when you take a stand against injustice, it might cost you a job. It might cost you a promotion. It might cost you a relationship, a friendship. Who knows? But I'm going to tell you, when you make that choice to take a stand and to be committed to the Lord, it's going to cost us. You see, but something, something inside of you is excited, isn't it? Something inside of you is joyful, in knowing that you made the right decision. You see, God has a plan for us, an awesome plan, a perfect plan, a powerful plan. 
for each and every single one of us. But if we can't escape and get past the injustice of our heart and we're stuck in our own will, we will never see that plan come to completion, will we? Genesis 39, 21. And this is while Joseph is in prison. He just gets thrown into prison. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. I don't know about you, but I ain't real hot about being great in the eyes of the prison warden. I want out of the prison. I want out of the prison. But every step along the way in Joseph's life, it's reassuring us in Genesis that God was with him. Why? Because Joseph made a decision. Joseph was committed. I also think that we need to be understanding. We need to be understanding. Joseph understood what God had in store for him because he knew that God was with him. You see, for 13 years, Joseph had faced transgression after transgression. He faced persecution after persecution. And after 13 years of injustice and series of events, God brought Joseph out of prison. Brought him out of prison. And here he is standing before Pharaoh. And we learn and we read in Genesis as he's standing before Pharaoh and he's explaining what's going to happen into Egypt and he's explaining the dreams that Pharaoh had. What does Pharaoh do? He makes him second in command of all of Egypt. The only one greater, the only one greater than Joseph is Pharaoh. Nobody else. And it says no one will lift anything, no one will do anything, no one will do absolutely a thing without the word of Joseph speaking it. So here Joseph is 30 years old and he's the governor of Egypt. And it gets better because nine years after becoming governor, he has a chance to get even with his brothers who sold him into slavery. This is his chance, right? Joseph's brothers are experiencing famine and they're beginning to starve in the land of Canaan, aren't they? And Jacob hears that there's grain up in Egypt and that they can, he, he sends the brothers up to Egypt to buy grain, to buy food for their family so they don't starve to death. But he keeps Benjamin behind. And when Joseph gets word that his brothers are in Egypt, he disguises himself because he doesn't want to show his true identity to his brothers. And he goes and he greets and he meets his brothers. Now the first thing in my mind when I'm thinking that he disguises himself is that he's going to take revenge, isn't he? This is his chance, right? This is the time in which Joseph can have justice for the last 22 years of injustice that started with these brothers. But rather than have revenge, Joseph reveals his identity and says to his brothers in Genesis 45, verses 4 through, oh, I'll give you verse 8. So then it, it was not you who sent me here. He says this to his brothers. It was not you who sent me here. Wasn't it his brothers that sold him? Wasn't it his brothers that put him in the pit? Wasn't it his brothers that got him over to Pharaoh or to Potiphar? Wasn't it his brothers that put him in front of Potiphar's wife? Wasn't it his brothers that started the whole idea of him going to prison? So there could be a lot of hate. There could be a lot of revenge upside in this man's heart right now, couldn't there? Because there's a lot of injustice that's happened inside of him and to him and through him because of these brothers, isn't there? But he says right here, it was not you who sent me here but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all of Egypt. You see, I think Joseph had an understanding. 
And he had the understanding because God was first. God was first in his life in all situations, in all transgressions, and in all injustices. Joseph had concern for his family and the welfare of his brothers. You see, I think Joseph gives us a fantastic example of forgiveness. Forgiveness. I read about the life of Joseph, and I cannot help but think of all the injustices in his life where he could have turned, he could have gotten angry, right? Hate could have boiled inside. Bitterness could have stewed. It, we could go as far to say that he, he could see enough things happen in his life and wonder, God's not even with me. This isn't, this isn't God. He could have turned from God. But rather than allowing those evil desires to overcome him, Joseph turns to God. He faces God, head to head, eye to eye. He's seeking God. He leaned into God. He pressed into God. He sought after God. You see, all these injustices in Joseph's life were used as ways to grow Joseph, to cultivate and develop Joseph into a great man and into a great leader over a powerful nation. You see, when you read Romans 5, suffering produces perseverance, right? When we read that, you can see how God was molding Joseph into the man that he wanted him to be so that he could fulfill God's purpose, so that God could fulfill his purpose for Joseph's life. God was molding him, cultivating him. He was going through experiences and situations in his life that he was actually growing in. He wasn't hung up in the injustice. Joseph was faithful to God through all the injustice, through all the temptation, and beyond the hate. Joseph was not dismayed at his injustice. Joseph did not stand out in the streets with a billboard about how he was wrong. Joseph did not tell others to create division amongst people or within families. Joseph took a stand against injustice. Joseph defeated injustice because he sought after and called upon the only one and we can call upon him as well. And that's our Lord and Savior. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus was hung on the cross. The perfect, sinless Son of God suffered the ultimate act of injustice as he was tortured and killed as he was tortured and killed. Yet the cross is also the ultimate act of justice on our behalf, isn't it? The ultimate act of justice on our behalf. The debt of our sin was paid in full and carried on his shoulders, wasn't it? Thank you for turning the air on. Through Jesus' sacrifice, he satisfied God's wrath against the unjust, purchasing the forgiveness of those who would turn to him in repentance, turn to him in faith, turn to him in his leading. You see, it's easy for us to lash out about how we've been wronged, isn't it? It's easy for us to point fingers. It's easy for us to feel like everyone's against us. But the truth is that's not the case, and we talked about that last week. There's one person against us. Remember that we're in a battle 
a battle of spiritual warfare, a battle over our soul, our soul that will live for an eternity, an eternity in which we get to choose where it lives. Do you want to quit and give up, or do you want to fight the good fight and see what God has in store for you? Fight. As Christians, we are called to take a stand. Amen? All right. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we just, we ask for clarity, Lord. Lord, we know that things aren't always going to be perfect. We know that things are not always going to work in our way or in our favor. They're not always going to be what we want them to be. And we think we know even ahead of time. We, we tell you what we want them to be. And when, we're not, when they're not the way that we want them to be, we're unsatisfied. Or we're hurt. Or we think that we've been wronged. Lord, right now, I just pray for a contrite heart. I pray for a heart. I pray for a heart that's crushed in spirit. I pray for a heart that is, it's crushed on your behalf. I pray for a heart that seeks only you. I pray for a heart that desires only you. I pray for a heart that wants the best for others. I pray for a heart that wants to speak the best of others. I pray for a heart that wants to give the best of others. Lord, I do speak against all injustice. And it's not for us to weigh. For we know that you are going to take care of all things. As the song said this morning, you are the way maker. And that's where we're putting our anchor. And that's where we're putting our hope. And that's where we're putting our trust. We're putting it all in you, Heavenly Father. So we thank you for this glorious day. We thank you for this house of worship. And we thank you for this awesome nation in which you've placed us. In your awesome and precious name. Amen. We're honored that you are with us today. Please connect with us because we want to get to know you. Head to our website, getreslife.org. That's G-E-T-R-E-S-L-I-F-E dot org. And like us on Facebook, Resurrection Life Church Cadillac, for upcoming events and information and ways to connect. God bless you and have a beautiful week.